Hello, I'm Katie Derham, and welcome to Expect Better, a brand new podcast series from Coots, which looks at the thrills and spills of life through a wealth lens. And today, it's all about the F word. There's nothing like it. It's unique to us all. Yes, we're talking about family. And specifically, what happens to a family when wealth is involved? How should we deal with tension should it arise? When is the best time to educate and speak to children about wealth? Well, helping us tackle this uh, hot topic today is Amanda East, a qualified engineer who co-founded her own successful inkjet company and later a family property company. She also co-runs the Relithan Charitable Trust with her husband, Warren. And just in case you thought she wasn't busy enough, she's also a mum of three children, now grown up, but they weren't when this story all began. Now, also joining us is Perry Littleboy, Managing Director at Coots. Welcome to you both. If at home you've listened to these podcasts before, you will know that we always start with an icebreaker question. So, Amanda, first of all, for you, in 10 words or less, what does wealth mean to you? Immense privilege, but also responsibility. And ultimately, it enables choice. And Perry, how about you? It gives you the freedom to learn and explore. It also gives you the opportunity to do good in the world, or at least, least harm. That's more than 10 words. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to forgive you both, just because I want us all to get along. (laughs) Well, Amanda and Perry, thank you both for those answers, uh, for setting the tone perfectly for today's topic of family. Amanda, let us start with you and and your story. Uh, Tell us a bit about yourself and and your career. As I mentioned in the introduction, an engineer by training. Yeah, not that unusual but fairly unusual. Um, So yes, I'm a mechanical engineer and that's actually where I met my husband. We were both engineers at Wadham College in Oxford together and I was incredibly lucky. I was able to go straight from university into an engineering job at Cambridge Consultants where we spun out, as you said, an inkjet printing company after about 18 months. So I was very young and had a fantastic time doing the Cambridge startup thing, working very hard, but having a great laugh along the way. And in fact, it's the company that I stayed with for all of my paid working life. Once the children came along, I was able to work part-time, but I carried on still doing the engineering. Eventually, we got bored. The company got bored and they actually made everyone of any technical bias redundant, which was interesting. But from my point of view, that actually worked very well because the children were all coming into their teens. They were moving schools. We'd already come into some of our wealth. Warren was travelling the world like a mad thing. And actually, it was a good time for me to take a step back. So I was able to have the choice to not have paid work. I carried on doing things like helping out in the school science club. I'm a school governor now. I'm also a trustee of the Cambridge Science Centre. So I'm still very much involved and interested in science, science education and encouraging children and particularly those from less privileged backgrounds and girls to think about engineering or, or STEM education generally. And then I guess in my spare time, I also have to worry about the rental properties that we have and just trying to keep all those plates spinning at home. (laughs) Perry always calls me the glue in the family. I'm not sure whether that's a compliment or not. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm sure it's meant very kindly indeed. But you mentioned Perry. Perry, listen, before we go any further, tell us what you do at Coots. I look after in the Coots private office about 35 client families. My job is to make sure their wealth lasts, ensure there's a cash flow that keeps food on the table to the end of their days. But because they're scared of wealth, that means there will always be legacy wealth that will last to another generation and possibly even a further generation. So it's about ensuring that that wealth supports the family's mission, that they've thought about what they want their wealth, their family wealth to do, and more importantly, what it's not there to do, and just get them to start thinking through the strategy for their wealth. It's an interesting point, Amanda, isn't it? Because I know you alluded already to the fact that you, you came into money quite suddenly, and that can have a hugely positive but also rather um, unnerving impact on any anybody's life, any family life, can't it? Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like for you and the East Gang when that money suddenly appeared in the bank account? Right, it, it didn't all come in in one enormous dollop, thankfully. But, I mean, I must say, I don't want to sound like a, a spoilt brat here, but, uh, you know, it is an immense privilege and in many ways huge luck that we find ourselves in this position. And, and I think Warren would absolutely agree. The wealth that came from his work, he was in a, he, he wasn't actually found a member of a startup, but he was in a very successful Cambridge technology company, which went public. And actually everyone that was working in the company at the time suddenly came into great wealth. Early on, it was paper wealth. It was in options and things like that. So it wasn't actually in our bank account. But it was very public, particularly in Cambridge. So it was in all the papers. And so our children were getting questions at school. I was getting questions from friends and family. And it is, as you say, quite unnerving to begin with. But all the while, you're very aware of how wonderful it is as well. I mean, so over time, you get used to learning how to navigate it. We actually weren't with Coots originally. And so there were times where we had interesting advice that possibly wasn't necessarily in our best interests. So we're very grateful that we found Coots. We found them relatively early on because they did help us navigate this. But with the children, we we tried to just emphasise how lucky we all are. And actually, when talking about wealth, it was very much actually in this country and particularly in the bubble that the East family lives in. Everyone around us is immensely lucky and in the overall scheme of things, of looking at the world, we're all wealthy. And so we've we've always tried to put things in context. And you know, when they were when they were little, we didn't talk about numbers or anything like that. That came later on. So when the paper money, as you say, became real and you could start spending it. How did you feel about that initially? And did you first of all think, right, well, brilliant, we can pay off the mortgage? <laughs> what was the first step? Well, we did pay off the mortgage. That is exactly what we did. Um, but uh, no, we were very cautious, I think, and tried to be careful about not not changing us or our family values. I mean, we're very lucky. We come from, both of us come from very strong, stable families. And we pretty much kept, life as normal. And, you know, we didn't move house. We'd, we've actually moved house 
now, as in six months ago, for the first time. So, you know, we've been in the same house for the last 26 years. We have tried to stay grounded. And actually, I told Perry this story the other day. Warren always says the children have been the best grounding influence on us. And he always tells a story about honing his negotiating skills, doing the school run in the morning. Um, (laughs) Because... Anyone who's done the school run knows how challenging that can be. And with three children in the car, when you're desperately trying to get to work for an important meeting. So, yeah, I mean, our children have been magnificent in helping along the way. And, yeah, we do normal, fun family things, but not necessarily things that cost money. We take our summer holidays in Norfolk. We like to sail we go for picnics, barbecues, all that sort of thing. And we have been careful not to indulge, if that's the right word, the children, because we have seen in others and actually earlier in my in my family history, so not, not my parents, but in my grandparents' generation, money was definitely not a force for good in the overall family dynamics. And so, you know, we were really mindful of trying to make sure that money didn't become a negative experience for all of us. So how old were the children when you became wealthy? So the youngest was eight. So they were eight to 11, that sort of age. And as you say, it was quite well known locally amongst friends and family that you'd suddenly got all this money or potentially had all this money. And you said that they were getting asked some questions at school and so on and so forth. I mean, how did you deal with that? Because that is an odd situation to find yourself in when, I mean, did you find people treated you differently? Yeah, it can be quite upsetting. And it's not just friends, it's family as well. But I think a lot of it's just curiosity. Um, Some of it's possibly a little bit of jealousy and envy. And, you know, everyone has difficulties in their lives. And I guess what a lot of people think is, oh, if you've got wealth, that solves all problems. Well, of course it doesn't. And actually, the most important thing is health. And money can't pay for that, can it? I mean, it can help in some ways. But yeah, I mean, it it took a bit of navigating. And early on, it was quite lonely, I suppose. Because, you know, I couldn't talk to, I couldn't talk to my friends and necessarily about all of it. Warren and I have always talked a lot together. And, you know, we've, we've always treated ourselves as a, you know, a team. And we talked a lot to the children. I mean, I guess through all of this, communication is key. And um, as you probably noticed, I don't have a problem with talking. So, <laughs> so yeah, we've, uh, we've talked. <laughs> I mean, what's coming through loud and clear is how you wanted your kids still to have a sense of, of normality, that they weren't going to be feeling different from their friends, that you were going to have an, a, a normal family life, which wasn't sort of gilded, if you like, uh, with the trappings of wealth, which you could have given them. There's a tension, isn't there? Because you want to do the best for your children. You want to give them lovely things if you can. How did you sort of balance that? Did you think, OK, well, we're going to limit the money we spend at Christmas or the amount of holidays we take a year? Practically, how did you do it? Yeah, we did all of that. So we did things like, um, this is before we had any wealth. Um, You know, we started them on pocket money and things like that. And I mean, I suppose before we even got married, Warren and I talked about having children and talked about trying to give them upbringing that I had. So 
actually, I had a very good role model. I'm one of five children. My parents worked incredibly hard. Dad's business went pear-shaped in the 70s. Mum made curtains at night to keep us all at school and, and food on the table, you know, and, you know, we saw all that. And so that helped, I'm sure, to sort of shape how we wanted our lives and, and the children's lives to go. I mean, don't get me wrong, we haven't got it all right. Of course we haven't. <laughs> and uh, there are times we think, oh, blimey, that was a bit interesting. Perhaps we'll try something different. And obviously three children, all very different, different approaches needed for each one, all close together in age as well. So, yeah, we sort of muddled along. We were very clear about things like, and we still are, we don't give massive Christmas presents and birthday presents. When they were going through university, we didn't, they weren't eligible for all the loans and things. They could get some student loans and we suggested to them that that would be a good idea to do that. And we talked about the reasons why and uh, we talked through budgeting and things like that. We agreed to pay, which obviously is a major privilege, we agreed to pay for their tuition. But beyond that, we then gave them an allowance which would, would well was equivalent to what they would have been able to get from the government and no more. So it wasn't enough for them to whip it up in the holidays. They all had to get jobs and they did get jobs and actually fantastically helpful for them because I remember Johnny got a job in a carrot packing factory in the Fens near where we live and it was a major eye-opener to him that he was working shifts from six in the morning, eight-hour shifts. Some people were managing on their minimum wage to, to keep a family together. It was a fantastic eye-opener to, to him. And one of our daughters hand-weeded asparagus beds in the fens. One of the, the other one did, um, she worked in the local petrol station in the um, sort of um, news agency bit. And um, it was really, really useful for them. And, you know, earning your own money is so much more satisfying than being That's given it. So true. Did you have discussions around, uh, or even now, I mean, they're grown up now, they're in their late 20s and 30s, aren't they? they uh, do you have discussions about what money they may have in the future? Did you have discussions about helping them buy their first flat, anything like that? Yes. So, uh, I mean, this is actually where Coots really helped us. So just going back a little bit, we started really seriously talking to Coots about bringing the children on board when Warren was serendipitously, really, between jobs. Um, he had a two-year break between big jobs. And so that gave us a bit of breathing space. And the children were, Johnny, the youngest, was um, late teens, so late teens, early 20s. And we sort of felt at that point that it was a good idea to, well, no, let's correct that. Coots suggested it was a good idea for us to, well, first of all, write our wills. I mean, we had wills, but to update our wills. And then it suddenly dawned on us oh my goodness, actually, if we both went under a bus tomorrow, the children are going to be suddenly having to deal with all of this complexity on top of trying to navigate their early 20s and all the rest of it. I mean, they're all still at uni at this point or about to go to uni. And um, that's 
where it was immensely helpful for them to, oh, and also my parents died very young. So, you know, I, I did start to get a bit paranoid about all of this. And so the suggestion of trying to bring the children in and help to educate them, it was done very carefully in that we, to begin with, there was a lot of chat about family values and we didn't instantly bombard them with exactly what our family wealth looked like. There was a lot of discussion about, you know, what we might do in certain circumstances. Some of it was in group discussions and some of it was one-on-one with someone from Coots. So the children had one-on-one discussions with people from Coots as well? We all did. Right. We All five of us had one-on-ones. And, and that actually was really helpful because, I mean, if I'm honest, Warren was a bit sort of, oh, I'm not sure why we need to do this. We all talk a lot to the family and I'm sure the children know what to do, blah, blah, blah. Um, actually, it became very clear that that there was an elephant in the room and we weren't particularly aware of it. And, and so actually getting the feedback on what was important to them in their lives. So, you know, they, they all have different priorities and, and some are more philanthropic, some are more entrepreneurial and actually really understanding I mean, of course, we don't fully understand, but, you know, it's started the conversation has been very good. And um, and it did seem a bit mad to, you know, nurture these children all through their childhood and through their education and everything. And then to not educate them in finance seemed a bit bonkers, really, when you stopped and thought about it, but it's actually quite easy not to think about it because <laughs> it's quite, it's difficult and it's not a sort of, oh, an instant fix. It's an ongoing journey. And, you know, we're still on that journey. So on the first flat business, we helped them, but we didn't buy a flat or house outright for them. Um, so they've all got mortgages and we didn't help them so that they would be completely out of kilter with their peer group. So that's what we've tried to do. And, you know, and then we have the issue of, so our eldest is now married, our middle one is engaged, so you have other members joining the family. And it's helped a lot to sort of understand how we might deal with these issues before we actually came to them. I'm fascinated by this, actually, because it's so true. These are the kind of issues that you you read about or you see in movies, but then suddenly you're having to deal with it with your kids and their loved ones. And you have to do it in a a sensible and unsentimental way, I guess, and yet in a sensitive way too. Well, the sensitive is the issue as well, because, you know, partners coming in, they come from completely different family backgrounds. So certainly for, for one of them, it's been, woo. Why are you all talking about this so openly? I mean, don't get me wrong, we don't talk about it all the time. And actually, that was one of the things that came out loud and clear from the children was, we do not want to be talking about this every time we see you. We want to have fun times together. You know, we're really lucky in that we love all being together. I mean, in lockdown, it's been amazing. Although our middle one hasn't been at home. So that's been tricky. So we've been doing Zoom cocktail evenings and mad things with her. And so, yeah, it's sort of being very sensitive to that too because it, it the last thing we want is for this 
to be a destructive element in the family. That's coming through loud and clear. If I can ask some nitty-gritty questions and tell me if I'm getting too personal. I'm, I'm fascinated. When you said you all spoke to Coots about how to handle um, what to do with the money and what your different children's needs and aspirations and hopes were for using the money, I guess, in time, what happened next? What conclusions did you come to? Did you set up a different structure? Did you land, settle money on them in trusts for them to use for business adventures or what happened? So we've done a number of things. And as I said, it's an ongoing journey. So we started off before we talked to the children, we'd already set up some trusts on advice from Coots. And actually the first trust is what was used to help fund their properties. And... Since then, they've actually had, either in groups or one-on-one, they've had workshops with Coots to start to understand just... I mean, it's taken me a long time, I'm not from a financial background, to get to grips with just all the jargon and, you know, what people are talking about when they're talking about your your portfolio. And, and our children started in very different places because, you know, some had more financial interest and understanding than others and actually that's still the case so these workshops were helpful in starting the education and then when we got to a point where Coots felt they were all ready to take small portfolios of their own that's what we did so each of them has a portfolio that we don't as in Warren and I don't have any sight of at all and so they interact directly with the portfolio managers and with Perry and and I hope in fact recently it became aware that one of ours was finding that all quite overwhelming and she wasn't talking to us about it I mean they don't need to talk to us about it but actually when it became clear then we sort of had to oh actually take a bit of a pause talk again to Coots and say we're going a bit quick here so it has to be sort of tailored And yeah, we're on a journey and and they're all involved in the charitable trust as well. So, you know, we have discussions about who and what we want to support and why. I don't think we're doing that effectively enough yet. Um, In terms of their involvement or in terms of where the money's going? No, in terms of their involvement. Some of it is it's time, you know, they're all, they've all got their own lives and they're all working hard and busy and everything. And you know, they don't necessarily want to be worrying about all the stuff that mum and dad are bleating on about. So, <laughs> but, but what it does sound as if you've managed to achieve, though, is that you at least can have those conversations if you need to, which in lots of families, of course, money's a bit of a taboo, isn't it? It is. I want to bring in Perry. Perry, from your perspective, is this quite a familiar story in terms of people coming into wealth, having to handle the way the different generations are going to respond to it? It's like I can't really put it more eloquently than, than Amanda just, just has. It's a, it's a journey of education and thoughtfulness. Very few people arrive at financial success and know what to do with it. They've been busy with their business creating, creating their success. And so that education point for the first generation is critically important, let alone for their children and, and one day, hopefully, their grandchildren. So educating... But the thoughtfulness that comes out in Amanda's discussion is, you know, what, what is this wealth for? What's it, what's it, it's, first of all, it's not just our wealth, this generation. It is a family wealth and it has 
the power to be quite destructive if thoughtlessly handled. And so asking your questions, not just what are our family values, but is this wealth, to, as, as Amanda said, is it there to buy our children their first house? We all have this instinct. You know, it's terribly difficult to get them on the property ladder, let's buy them the first house. But actually, as Amanda said, ensuring they have a mortgage and therefore need to get out of bed before seven o'clock to get a job to pay the bank is, is actually for many clients quite an important discipline. Thinking through also what, you know, what happens if one child is hugely successful and the other just wants to be a librarian or work in a charity. Um, that, that whole fairness versus equality issue when we come to distribute our wealth to the next generation is something that really needs to be thought through before something happens. And that's one of my roles, start encouraging my clients to think through the consequences of their actions. Because everything you do sets a precedent, not just a precedent with how you treat your other children, but do you know what? Your children will use those as precedents with how they treat their children. And so the, the precedents you're, you're creating should be done thoughtfully. And, and I think my role is to, to not just educate, but ensure that there is that thoughtfulness brought into wealth before one of your children asks you a question you haven't thought through. You know, they may have a need if I help you, child number one, do I have to do the same for child number two and child number three? How am I going to respond to that uh, when I'm asked? And of course, every family is going to be different, aren't they, in the way they respond to that? There isn't one correct answer, I guess. No, no, there isn't. And, and so that is thoughtfulness. You know your children better than I do. So you know what is an age-appropriate time to have those discussions, to start allowing them to have a little bit of uh, wealth, whether it's in your ISAs or a small portfolio or engaging them in your family's charitable trust, you know when to do that, um, judged upon your, um, your knowledge of the children uh, and their characters. But it is important that they should have the practice while you're still around, rather than just ignore the whole thing, not talk about wealth, which is, a, a, again, a common temptation. No one wants to talk about money in the family. And so there is that temptation. But actually, having the open conversations, providing the education, allowing them to actually experiment uh, with money whilst you're around is hugely important, I think. One of the points that Amanda brought up is that the children were often saying, look, we don't want to every time we see you be talking about money. Um, they've obviously got a balance right in the East family where, you know, they can talk about money, they have done, and it's it's working well. But, but yes, you know, work... Uh, money can be work, can't it? Money, uh, it creates admin, it creates meetings and conversations and time taken and decisions to be made, mental space. Uh, how do you advise families to sort of deal with that? Because often people just want to run away to the hills and put their head under a pillow. Mm. So, so two things. One, with many families, we will have a, a project where we create a family charter. So we'll get the family together, allow everyone a voice around the table to say what they think wealth is for and not for, and actually codify what your family wealth is for. So everyone has a template, which can last for a number of generations. Will we buy that first house? Obviously, our wealth is, is to pay for private health care. Obviously, private education if required. But what else uh, is it there for? How long, how many generations do you want it to last? You know, should we set up a grandchildren's uh, education trust? So that, that's that first quite intensive piece of work engaging the whole family to work out what their family wealth is for. The next bit then is a, is a much calmer process where you might just bring them, you, you, you'll provide them with four or five 
learning sessions, this is the children, about why do people invest, how do you construct a portfolio, what sort of returns can you expect from a portfolio. But after that, it's really just bringing them in once or twice a year to sit down and say, okay, this is this is how Coots has performed on your portfolio, what are your questions, what are your challenges, learning to hold their bankers' feet to the fire if they're disappointed, but it, but it is a sort of annual or semi-annual event. Similarly with the charitable trust. Again, a family charitable trust is a is a great learning opportunity because children get to see the parents holding the banker's feet to the fire and ask, you know, why did you take 2% out of US equities and put them in? And learning the jargon and all that sort of thing is, is it's a huge privilege, but it's a great learning opportunity for them. Have you seen things go horribly wrong, Perry? Are there any real lessons to learn from, from, from the, the worst case scenario? Uh, so I'm going to obviously say not on my watch. However, um, I, I come from a farming background. And actually, I, I think we've all seen examples where families have fallen apart because of their expectations for the capital that will flow that way. Now, that capital could be land or it could be money, but there's usually a misaligned expectation because there hasn't been an open and honest conversation within the family and that one arm of the family or some children uh, have an expectation which isn't fulfilled and they are disappointed and they tend to believe somebody has done them down. The other time that families can fall into conflict, again, without open conversation, is when new members come to join the family. So when you have a a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law comes in, they're obviously going to be passionately loyal to their partner, And that voice around the table, if there isn't a common understanding of what the family wealth is for and not for, that voice can be quite negative. So yes, I have seen it happen before. um, And and actually, I think it's very common amongst farming families. Um, um. Amanda, on that point of of, uh, new in-laws, how did you and your children discuss your family's financial situation with the new partners? Um, so we first of all discussed it amongst the five of us as to how we all felt about talking about it. And it was quite a lot of discussion about the fact that if one has a partner, then as Perry says, you know, the partner's going to support that one. And then that's like they have a louder voice than everyone else at the table. So we're all very aware of that. I mean, we haven't actually written down a family charter. We've gone through all the sort of process of of the the questionnaires and everything, and we don't have it totally codified. I think we should. Warren is less keen. But, you know, we've... There are various emails and things. A lot of them come from Coots that we, we go back to, but it's not totally formally set down because this is a a work in progress. Yeah, so it is just about trying to be as as transparent as possible with everyone including the in-laws. So we we as a family have have agreed and are comfortable with the other halves being involved, but it's also understood that you know, I mean not that anything's ever come to a vote, but if we get to major conflict that it's only one vote per couple basically and Warren and I have a vote each so we're um at the moment we're we've got more control and that is recognized but at some point that's going to we're going to have to shift it away and and we we are mindful of the fact that in the next I don't know I mean we're still under 60 but 
But in, in the next few years, we're going to have to start to, to move things across so that things are out of our estate and into their estates. And those conversations, I, I imagine, are going to be quite, quite challenging at times. We know that it's not always comfortable. So it's trying to gauge the right sort of pace of things. And sometimes sort of events occur that, that mean you have to all engage brain and think about it. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, time will tell. How, I mean, who knows whether we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. We're, we're just trying to do what feels right at the time for us. And I guess that's all you can really hope for, isn't it? But with the third party of Coots helping, I mean, they've seen it all before. And that's what's certainly from my point of view, massively helpful. And I do ring up Perry and I do ring up Rachel and say, we've got this issue any advice. And that's really helpful. I mean, Perry, do you advise families when new girlfriends and boyfriends are on the scene and things look as if they might be going towards, you know, marriage? uh, Do you advise prenuptial agreements? How does that all? That's a thorny one. You're both laughing as I ask that question. (laughs) I knew you were going to ask that question. It's a a conversation we have quite frequently with Amanda and Warren uh, and, and their children too, and with other clients, because our generation never had prenups. Um, or, 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 or none of my friends ever did anyway. Um, and so uh, our generation saying to the next generation, you've got to go and have a prenup. And they turn around to you and go, well, uh, hang on a second, did you, did you have a prenup? And we go, no. And uh, do as I say, not as I do. Um, uh, <laughs> but, but and quite often the parents say, well, okay, I'm not going to have the conversation with my children. Would you go and have the conversation with my children? Um, so it, they, they are sensible, um, but it's how you... It's how you articulate them. So, as I said at the beginning, we, my, the families I look after have a scale of wealth which will last more than one generation. And if you as a family, and here you have involved and engaged your children as to what wealth is for and what it is not for, then the conversation obviously leads on to, look, listen, darling, if you want this wealth, this family wealth to provide for education to your children, your grandchildren, it would be great if we can try and keep as much of it within that family as possible. Hence the prenup. That's the only, it's not because I have, I think you've got terrible taste in in, in, in boys. Um, It's just simply because we've all agreed that this is what our wealth is for. Let's ensure um, as much of it lasts for as many generations as possible to do that purpose. Um, and then still sometimes you can't persuade them and sometimes you can, but it's it's there, it's absolutely their choice. But it is always an interesting conversation. Amanda, you you were, were smiling throughout. <laughs> Do I get the impression there were some interesting conversations in the East household about that? Yes, and fundamentally we have a, Warren and I have a problem with trust on all of this. And so um, we we didn't want to impose it on our children we, we all talked about it. Uh, we accept that it um, possibly does mean that some of this wealth will not go quite in the direction we hope. Um, but we, we just felt very uncomfortable about imposing that on our children. But we did, we did ask Perry to do exactly what he said. Um, because actually we wondered, we thought possibly that um, the other halves would want that protection as well, because 
from their point of view, they don't want to, it to look like they're marrying for money, do they? So, um, and we said, we basically, I guess we copped out and said, it's up to the couples. If that's what they want to do, then we'll absolutely 100% support it. But we are not going to um, insist on it. Um, having said that, we do have trust set up to try and protect some things. So I don't know. I don't know what the rights and wrongs on this are. We, we just felt it was potentially a very confrontational process for them to go through before they're even married. Because it is, lawyers are involved and you're talking through divorce before you've even got married, basically. And both our son-in-law and our future son-in-law come from those backgrounds. And it was very painful. So it's not, you know, you, you could almost sort of destroy things before they've even started, we felt. Maybe we were, maybe we're wrong. And maybe we're just too paranoid about it. I don't know. But these are the sensitive topics, which is so interesting to discuss so candidly. And that's why it's been great that you have been so open with us, Amanda. I mean, before we... we we... You probably ought to talk to the in-laws and find out what they think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. In oh, the next terrible. episode, the other, si- the other side of the story. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, before we close uh, and finish uh, this podcast, Amanda, I mean, you've obviously overcome a lot of the, your concerns. You've been very open with your family. The children know what's going on. They've worked closely with Coots. They all have a view and a voice in the family financial discussions. Looking back on it, What were the the biggest challenges, do you think? Trying to keep our family values, trying to keep grounded and grateful. You know, we're we're very, very conscious of the immense, well, we come round to the beginning again, you know, the immense privilege, but the luck, you know, I mean, yes, we all, all of us in our family work really hard. That's, That's something that is very core to our family. You know, we do work hard, but we have a lot of fun and we play hard. And, but actually, lots and lots of people in this world work hard and don't gain the the remuneration that we have. And it is, it's, it's, we've been in the right place at the right time. But, you know, who knows what's around the corner? Well, coronavirus, for instance, you know, this could all go horribly wrong. And so it's always about being mindful of, of, I guess, not getting complacent and and not ever totally relaxing, I suppose. I don't know. Um, just trying to, to keep us as ourselves and, and not do any harm. I mean, it's, it's corny, isn't it? But uh, try and do good in the world. Who knows whether we'll manage that. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> Sounds like you already are, Amanda. Perry, would you echo those sentiments for your other clients? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thoughtfulness. Be thoughtful. Think think ahead of the sort of situations and questions you're going to be asked. Be mindful of the fact that you have concerns for your children. You know, will wealth um, demotivate them? Will they fall into the wrong crowd? You know, will something, would, would it be a, a, not a force for good in their lives? But actually think that your children may well have concerns that they are not sharing with you. They will have their own concerns. Does does my boyfriend or girlfriend love me for who I am? Uh, how am I ever going to be as successful as mum or dad? You know, these, these secret 
um, worries that the next generation often have and don't discuss. Be mindful of that. Create a forum for a more open and discursive um, uh, um, family and try and think through the purpose of your family wealth. Uh, as I said earlier, what is it there for and what's it not there for? And provide the education or ask your, your bank to provide the education because, um, you know, you, you, this is all a new journey for so many people. Amanda, was there ever a moment when you wished you didn't have the money? Yeah, of course, there are times. But, I mean, that's a very spoilt attitude, isn't it? Most people would give their eye teeth to be in our position. You know, we're immensely privileged. So I, I actually feel that I, I almost don't have the right to, to feel like that. That's not on. You know, I need to, um, you know, that is part of my job, actually, is to, to help steer all of us to trying to make the right decisions. It, it is, it's, it is it's, it's thinking about things. Don't just sort of think, oh, I'm too busy, I can't face that. I mean, it sounds like we think about it all the time. Of course we don't. Well, no, we've asked you to think and, about it for this podcast, so yeah. you are allowed. This is okay. Um, <laughs> you know, actually, as a family, we've, we've got, there's lots of banter that goes on and... and um, you know, we do worry, and I know Warren worries a lot about um, the the sort of pressure on the kids because he's been so successful. And he, the last thing he wants is for them to feel like they have to do something or be something that, you know, to impress us or make us feel happy or proud or whatever. We We are incredibly proud of them. Do you think they do? Do you think they feel that pressure? Yeah, of course they of course they feel that pressure. I mean you can't it's it's inevitable. You know with with people friends talking to them and saying oh I saw your dad in the paper last week or on on the radio yesterday. I mean you must get it too, you know. <laughs> Any anyone in public life, it's unavoidable. There were well it's it's obvious isn't it? There are pros and cons to all these things and and that is a bit of a con but actually the upside is potentially so wonderful. And I do hope that we're going to be able to do more philanthropic stuff in the future. I mean, one of the things we haven't really talked about is that, you know, some of these things do take time to, I don't know, almost like brew in your in your thinking so that you can start to really form a plan and see a way forward. And, and I do feel at the moment, because Warren is so busy with what he's doing, that we're perhaps not moving on as quickly as we might be at the moment because we just haven't got the time. But, you know, you have to be practical about these things. So, OK, we haven't got the time. But it's there. We know that we are going to think about it. And, and Perry and his team are very good at just these little reminders to say, and have you moved on with that thought or... <laughs> Where have you got to with this? A little gentle nudge, yes. It's, it's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It has been so interesting talking to you both about this. And thank you so much, Amanda, for your, uh, your honesty and your candour about your family finances and the, and the relationships and the effect that money's had on, on the family, both good and bad. So thank you. So that was Amanda East and also Perry Littleboy, Managing Director at Coots, my guests in today's episode of Expect Better. More information on banking, financial planning and investments can be found at the coots.com website. And you can also email investmentqueries at coots.com.
please rate and review this episode and hit the subscribe button too so you don't miss future episodes, including next time when we'll be looking at what happens when the unexpected strikes. I'll be joined by the Facebook VP for Europe, Middle East and Africa and founder of the Follicular Lymphoma Foundation, Nicola Mendelssohn, who'll be sharing her inspiring story. It was, you know, just an absolute shock. You know, your life flashes before you, all the things and plans and hopes that you had imagined just suddenly feel as though they're pulled away from you. Join us then. <laughs>